Believe it or not. Believe it or not. Incomparable, inimitable, illimitable, inestimable, introducer of immeasurable, incalculable, incredible impossibility. Welcome to Ripley's Believe It or Not cast, the podcast that brings you deep into the strange, the bizarre, and the unusual. I'm Ryan. And I'm Brent. So, Ryan. It's no secret that the Ripley's Believe It or Not cast aims itself squarely at the odd corners of the human mind. We pander to the strange, the bizarre, and the unusual within us all. And this story is no different, but even more so. This story happened a long time ago. It also happened recently, and it's happening right now. It's a story that has affected ranchers throughout the United States and throughout the world. Ranchers whose cattle died and were indeed murdered in seemingly inexplicable ways. Right. So let's set the scene. On today's Notcast, we're traveling to the Sylvie's Valley Ranch in remote eastern Oregon, about five hours southeast of Portland. The population there is just over 2,000. In fact, cattle outnumber people there 14 to 1. But the land is huge, 140,000 acres, about the same size as the city of Chicago. And it's here that people are still talking about the cattle, what was done to them, how it could have been done, and why. So on this episode of the Notcast, we are discussing the topic of cattle mutilations and specifically a case that took place at the Sylvie's Valley Ranch this summer. It's a case that is still being investigated, but it's safe to say that for now, there are no leads and there are no suspects. So we do want to warn some listeners in this episode, uh, we get into some pretty gruesome details of what happened to these animals. It's not pretty. You've been warned. So for decades, ranchers all across the U.S. have described odd things happening to their cattle. The cowboys wake up to find a bull has died, but that it has odd characteristics. Maybe its tongue has been cut out. Maybe its internal organs are missing. But oddly, there's no blood anywhere to be found, and no other animals have appeared to scavenge the carcass. This is similar to what Colby Marshall discovered when he awoke on the morning of July 31st of this year. My name is Colby Marshall. I was a former vice president of uh, livestock and guest services at Sylvie's Valley Ranch. I was born and raised uh, in this part of uh, Frontier, Oregon. Um, I've been in the, either the cattle business or I've been in the world of agricultural policy uh, for my entire life. I've been I'm I'm 45 years old and uh, and this is what I've I've done. I've worked at uh, uh, raising livestock or helping uh, livestock producers for my entire career, and um, it was a uh, just the most remarkable situation uh, when uh, we found the uh, the dead bulls uh, on Sylvie's Valley. Um, it was uh, it was one of those situations where you come across a, a dead animal and uh, you automatically start looking for certain things uh, that indicate you know maybe how that animal died. Uh, you know, there's always a um, um, signs if there was a struggle if there was a predator uh if they died from uh, a disease uh you're gonna see these kinds of outward appearances and uh when when we come across these particular bulls 
Um, the first one we found it was it was very odd because it was a very healthy bull, um, and there was no signs of struggle. There was no indications of uh, of disease. There was no indications of sickness. There was you know there was no gunshot wounds. There was nothing. There was no reason why this animal uh, it appeared should be dead. And then within about uh, an hour and a half or so, we found a second one that was in exactly the same situation. Uh, the animals were basically uh, laying on the ground. Uh, their tongues had been removed, their, uh, their penis and their testicles had been removed and their anus had been removed. Other than that, there was absolutely no other signs of, uh, of, of, of any reason that these animals would be uh, dead. And uh, the other uh, abnormal out, abnormal situation is there was no blood at the scene uh, around the wounds or coming out of uh, of any of the orifices of the animal. It was really amazing. Something that I've never seen ever in my life. So Kobe explained that these are free range bulls, 2000 pound animals. They're worth about $6,000 a piece which is one reason why beef is big business. In Oregon, it's the state's largest agricultural commodity, drawing in nearly $1 billion a year. So immediately Colby started to think about what could have happened. Was there a fight between two bulls? Was it a predator, maybe wolves or cougars? But again, there was no sign of blood. And in fact, there were no signs of tracks around the dead animals. And so then you start thinking, okay, well, this is the most this is the most odd and weird situation that uh, I've ever seen. The next day, we found three more. Uh, and that's when it starts to become like this. There's something going on here that is absolutely not normal and totally outside the bounds of, uh, of normal livestock, you know, deaths and, and whatnot. And so then you start thinking, OK, how is, uh, you know, are, are, are the other animals in danger? Uh, is our crew in danger? You know, what's, who's doing this? You start thinking about the first thing that we did after we, uh, found the animals and reported it to the authorities and, and started talking with, uh, uh some folks that, uh, you know, were experts, if you will, in animal deaths. Um, and we consider ourselves to be that way too, in terms of we've seen a lot and we've managed a lot. Um, but we started doing some reading and some research and, and after some conversations learned that there has been well over 8,000 cases of reported cattle mutilation across the Western United States. This has been studied by the FBI. It's been studied by agricultural institutions. Uh, you've had individuals, you've had uh, folks out of the military that have been involved in studying it. And all of the situations are the same in regards to um, the animals are found in remote and isolated areas. Uh, they typically have those main organs uh, remote, the tongue, uh, the testicles, the penis, and the anus. Uh, if it's a male, if it's a female, their udders have been removed. Um, and uh, and then the other thing is there's an absence of blood at the situ at, at the location, and there's no other signs. There's no other tracks, uh, and there's there's uh, there's absolutely no forensic evidence truly to go on. 
Colby said you have to start thinking outside of the box here. Uh, of course, some people say it's aliens, but he doesn't buy that. Uh, Bigfoot, uh, that doesn't really do it for him either. In fact, he says he doesn't think any of this is paranormal at all. In his mind, this is a group of people, surgical in their precision and execution, who have been doing this kind of thing for a long while. And, um, but, you know, what, what we think our speculation is on it is that this is definitely uh, a group um well you know maybe it's a cult maybe it's a you know maybe you know who knows right but it's a group of people we think and we think that they have been doing this for quite a long time because when you think about uh, the stories of cattle mutilation you know it 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 starts you know in terms of the reports back in the late 60s but Quite honestly, there's been reports for, you know, hundreds of years about these kinds of situations. And so uh, we think it's a very, you know, it's a group. We think they're harvesting these organs for some particular reason. Um, and we think they know exactly what they're doing. And uh, and for some reason, they want these organs and the blood um, uh, fresh. Um, because if they just wanted the particular body parts and they just wanted the blood, they could go buy that stuff or it could just give it. It would be given to them at any harvest location, you know, any kill facility across the United States. You know, they just give you that stuff. You know? So uh, that's that's our speculation. We think that they uh, uh, probably tranquilize these animals uh, to create, to create the situation where they're catatonic, they use some sort of a substance that's quickly metabolized, you know, into the body. Um, so that, uh, uh, once the blood is tested, it doesn't, there's nothing that shows up. And, uh, and we think they actually bleed the animals, um, through the tongue, um, because there's, uh, main arteries that run through your tongue and you can take out the blood fairly quickly with, especially if the heart is still beating. And, uh, and then they remove the tongue to remove the evidence. And then after that is when they take the, uh, the body organs. Uh, so do we think the authorities have any leads or information, uh, at this point that could, uh, lead to an arrest or a conviction? Um, at this point, no. The ranch has offered a $25,000 reward for information leading to the arrest and conviction of individuals involved in the incidents. But it seems like authorities have been puzzled by similar acts for years. In 2009, Los Animas County, Colorado Sheriff's Deputy Derek Navarrete told the Denver Post, quote, we can't come up with anything. So after his department came up empty on two local cattle mutilation cases, uh, he went on to say, quote, we've seen these before and they are all kind of the same. No one has ever explained it. Northern New Mexico has had some of these cases and in those cases, they never got any further than we did. Okay, so one government source who didn't want to go on the record told us that the Sylvie's Valley Ranch instance was strange because it didn't seem like the cattle had been attacked by predators. So does rural Oregon have a serial killer on the loose? And they're obviously very, very good at what they, you know, they're doing. And so we've considered them very dangerous. Um, but at the end of the day, we don't think that they're ever going to uh, out, you know, themselves uh, or anybody would come forward because there's some very important reason to them why they're doing what they're doing, because they're very, very good at it. So how do we protect these animals going forward? Um, what, uh, what we've also found in our research is a lot of times um, when the cattle mutilation situation happens, the strike happens on a particular lo at a particular location, um, generally it does, they don't come back to the same location. 
so once the animals are, are harvested or killed, mutilated, and the and the body parts taken, there's there's there hasn't been at least in the the information that we have and experiences by by most of the law enforcement is that they don't come back. So they're they're you know they're looking for isolated locations where they can you know kill the animal, remove the blood and the body parts, and then move on. Um, and because after it happens, you know, we, uh, the ranch at the time, you know, we put uh, we put uh, uh, cowboys in groups together in twos out there. Uh, we were very vi- obviously we were very vigilant beforehand, but we just increased that uh, uh, level of awareness. OK, so I just have to say here, if what Colby says is true, if his theory turns out to be right, I think that might be creepier than anything else we've talked about. You know what I mean? Like if this is like aliens or Bigfoot or something like that, like, uh, okay, whatever. But to say it's a cult where humans are like getting these organs and like harvesting them or something like that's worse than most any of the things I could think of. It's like some true detective four kind of thing. So you're saying, you're saying that, that uh, if the explanation is um, does not have to do with, um, anything paranormal or extraterrestrial? If it's if it's humans, that's worse. That almost I would scare, agree with that. that almost scares me even more. But then again, you know, like when we see these kinds of stories and stuff, even in fiction, I think sometimes you know the scariest uh, 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 bad guys are always humans, right? Yeah. It's not monsters or whatever. It's always humans. So it just freaks me out. Well, I think what we need to do here, Ryan, is dial up the weirdness a little bit. So let's- Even more? Even more. Let's meet Chuck Zukowski, a man whose reputation precedes him in the world of paranormal investigation. He is a former sheriff's deputy in Colorado and dating all the way back to the 1980s, Mr. Zukowski started getting reports of strange things happening in the area. There were UFO sightings, Bigfoot encounters, and cattle mutilations, um, maybe sort of a hat trick of weirdness. He's made it his mission to find out what's really going on, and along the way, um, a book was written about his life. He also hosted a TV show on the Travel Channel. So Chuck has his own theories about what causes these cattle mutilations. In fact, when most people experience this phenomenon, he's one of the few who will actually come out and investigate. The first documented mutilation that I found uh, goes back to the late 1800s out of Missouri. And it was a really interesting case that um, it was a, it was a, a, a ranch uh, that uh, at nighttime, they saw this craft kind of hovering over their uh, their pasture, and uh, you know, back in the late 1800s, they didn't know what to think with this strange light hovering over their property, and so they kind of ran inside their house and uh, and kind of kind of hid in there till uh, you know daylight, not not ex- not knowing what to expect, and then the next morning, the uh, rancher went out, and I think he found three or four dead animals. Uh, right where the the craft was hovering, and uh, and they were missing blood. They had hole marks on them, but they, and they were missing blood. So that was like really the first case that I kind of read that that goes back before you know advanced technology here. So basically, when I get contacted, the first thing I do is is you know I'm, I'm interviewing the person, and um, I want to learn more about 
you know, the case itself of what they saw, what they found, their background. I mean, I had a case where, you know, it was just a, a person walking, you know, in, you know, hiking through this area that saw a mutilated cow. Um, but most of my cases are, and a majority of my cases are actually from the ranchers themselves. And so I'll talk to the ranchers. I'll ask them if they've had any, if they've seen anything strange in the neighborhood, if they've seen, uh, if they've experienced anything like this before. I'll generally ask them how long they've been ranching, um, how familiar they are with animals, how familiar they are with, uh, you know, uh, how animals die uh, naturally. And then, you know, one thing leads to another. Once I get enough information from them, instead of thinking, okay, this is a good case to roll on, then I'll go ahead and set up a time with the rancher and go down and meet with them. Um, it's, it's, this is kind of a difficult investigation to do because, uh, first off, the ranchers, they're, you know, if you deal a lot with, with people that live in, in rural areas, you know, they, you know, they just don't open up to anybody. And so you have to be pretty um, specific in what you're looking for and uh, be able to uh, um, convince them in some cases that you need to go out and look, at, you know, look for the animal. Uh, most of the time, uh, I'm not contacted. I, I find out about the, you know, about the relation and then I contact the rancher himself and then I set up a meeting with him. Chuck will interview the rancher, but start to observe the area as well. He'll look for signs of other dead animals to determine whether the cause is some kind of illness. He'll examine the carcass to see whether it exhibited signs of a struggle or if there's any blood around. In some cases, he noted there seemed to be a crater underneath the animal as if it were dropped from a great height. Uh, he'll also take soil readings and Geiger readings to measure the amount of radioactivity present, and he may take samples to deduce whether or not the animal was alive when it was mutilated. Yeah, the thing is, is um, you know, if after you do a lot of these things, what you're doing is you're trying to find, or at least me, I always try and find a commonality, something that's that's the same in, in, in every type of case. Now, this is something that a homicide detective would do when he's, you know, investigating a murder. What he'll do is he'll interview three or four people, you know, witnesses to the, to the murder. And because everybody sees something different, you're going to get three or four different, you know, points of view of what happened. But what you do is when you listen to all three or four of these people, you just take the one commonality that each one, you know, has. As you're writing your notes, we go, oh, that person said this, oh, that person said this, oh, that person said that, or that person saw that. And that's your one commonality that you want to focus on to help you with your investigation. And that's what I do with my investigations. And then so I started seeing commonalities in, uh, in, in animal mutilations. All right, so let's, let's go all in here, Ryan. So one commonality Chuck found was that in many of these cattle mutilation cases, as well as other paranormal activity, uh, many of these cases tend to occur at or around the 37th parallel, or the circle of latitude that appears 37 degrees north of the Earth's equator. So another commonality involves witnesses seeing bright balls of light near these mutilation sites, and still another similarity involves the sites being near a body of water. Oh, one more thing that these have in common sometimes, uh, black helicopters hovering over the area. Now, some of the skeptics out there would say, well, it's the government, it's the helicopters that are doing it. Well, that's not the case. What I've learned over the years, and I'll tell you why here in a minute, but over the years I've learned that I believe they're running their own investigation. Now, um, since I've been doing this, I've been doing this, like I said, about 35 years. Within the past 22 years of me being here in Colorado, I've received two phone calls one 
about you know uh, um, about Roswell because I did a press release on some Roswell debris that that I found, and then another one on cattle mutilations. But it's basically the same type of, of, of phone call where it's a gentleman on one side, and the phone number doesn't pop up. One time the phone number on my cell phone popped up my phone number, you know, which is easy to do if if you if you if you know the technology how to do it. But the people, but they were asking specific questions about my investigations, and uh, Mr. Zukowski, what do you think about this? What did you learn about this? On and on and on and on. And um, I was very cooperative and told them whatever they needed to know. And I said, if you have any other questions, don't hesitate to call me. That tells me that someone else is actually running their own investigations, trying to figure this out too. Who did who did that person identify him or herself as? They don't identify themselves. <laughs> you know, it's uh, you know, we'll call you, don't call us. And that's why, you know, first time I so just to be sorry, just to be clear, who do you think it was? I think it was people within the government. Chuck heard about the Oregon case over the summer, and he also tried to get involved. He's convinced of one thing: Colby Marshall is wrong. This is not the work of a cult. I had contacted the sheriff's department uh, and to help him with that particular case, and that was back in June, I think it was. And uh, they refused to, to to return my phone calls. Other other sheriff's departments that I've worked with, uh, one in Georgia, uh, Dakota, Kansas City, Missouri, um, also Kansas, the state of Kansas, um, I've been really, really uh, happy with that, that, that we've communicated back and forth, even here in Colorado. So they're willing to work, but some sheriff's departments, they, uh, you know, law enforcement agencies, they don't want to deal with it. The one that happened in Oregon, they're a very small department. The deputy in charge uh, has only been on the force for a couple of years. Uh, the, 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 you know, the, the first article came out was quoting him and he said, I got stuck with this case. That pretty much tells you, you know, uh, you know how much effort he's actually going to put into it. And just recently, within the past, I don't know, 30 days or so, he comes out and, and says, you know, well, you know, the rancher says, well, you know, could have been uh, a cult. And then, of course, he kind of like agreed, well, yeah, maybe it's a cult. Now, that would be your first misconception is most people look at it going, well, you know, it's some religious cult. Well, let me tell you about religious cults. If you involve in law enforcement, every, and I consider this crimes, because these are animal cruelty crimes, every crime, the perpetrator of the crime will leave some form of evidence, okay? Mm -hmm. And... And, and just, you just, you know, basically, it, it, there's, there's hundreds of years of, of, of books and paperwork and all kinds of stuff for, you know, uh, law enforcement to look at that's been going on. But, but regardless, there's always evidence left. Now, it's, it's the job of, of a detective to find the evidence to point to the perpetrator, right? Now, since 1967, out of the 10,000 cases that um, law enforcement did investigate, they not once did they ever find any human evidence of the causing the death or predator evidence causing the death. Now, these are the animal mutilation case phenomenon. There's, there's other mutilation cases out there. They call mutilations where, you know, someone, you know, will damage a horse or a cow or something. That's been a news lately, too. These are the ones that fall into the true phenomenon that they cannot find the perpetrator. Humans make mistakes. Chuck says, so humans would leave evidence behind. 
Alas, what is being done to these animals from Chuck's point of view is not human at all. Chuck's theory is that for a reason known only to them, aliens have been terrorizing these cattle for decades. You know, we can we can sit and hypothesize all we want, you know, on why aliens are here, what they're doing, why why are they doing it, but until you actually talk to one, we're never going to know. And I'm not saying that let's say the alien species is so far advanced that we just don't matter to them. So why even bother with this? It's like like us trying to talk to a cow to carry on a conversation with a cow. The cow doesn't know what's going on. I, don't, I have a theory that the that aliens aren't even that far more advanced than we are, but they have their own agenda. And uh, but why they would come here? Well, you know, um, it turns out that um, we're, this Earth isn't as unique as we once thought three decades ago. Now they're finding their evidence that there's life on, on uh, not life, but water on so many other planets. But for the longest time, they were saying, well, the only reason why aliens would come here because uh, there's, you know, we're a water planet. Well, that's not the case, and especially not within the last couple of years. That, you know, NASA's been saying water is just everywhere. So it's got to be us. It's, it's got to be, it's got to be the humans. It's, it's got to be us that they're looking at. It's got to be our animals that they're looking at. But, you know, it's hard to say. So yeah. you're right, you know, why, why, you know, why don't they, they say, hey, we're here? Yeah. Because, because they're researching, they're, they're, you know, it's the same reason that, you know, we go out, you know, in the, in the forest and we'll, we'll shoot an animal with a tranquilizer dart and we'll put a tag on it and off it goes. Okay, so now I'm equally freaked out. Aliens, cults, weird balls of light, and not to mention if it is predatory, that means there are animals that are taking down 2,000-pound bulls, multiple 2,000-pound bulls, right? I mean... Yeah, and sucking out all their blood. Thank you. Like, no matter what is doing this, something is, and that's the craziest part. Okay, but we would be remiss not to mention a well-known episode of the Skeptoid podcast about this topic, which concluded, quote... Alien mutilations as an explanation requires a whole host of other unsupported assumptions. That there are aliens, that they have interstellar travel ability, and that they use that ability to visit Earth, and that they choose when they come here to routinely abduct and vivisect herd animals. None of these assumptions can even remotely be proven. But it's also important to point out that in the early 1980s, the FBI did investigate this phenomenon. Agent Kenneth Rommel conducted a lengthy investigation which resulted in a 297-page report. His conclusion? That mutilations were predominantly the result of natural predation. But there was a big asterisk next to that conclusion. Some of the cases simply could not be accounted for by conventional wisdom. Crap. So we're back to aliens and cults again, huh? Uh, something like that, yes. Um, so we would like to thank Colby Marshall and Chuck Zukowski for sharing their stories and observations with us today. And remind everyone one last time, there is currently a $26,000 reward being offered by the Sylvie's Valley Ranch and the Oregon Cattlemen's Association for information leading to the arrest and conviction of the persons or aliens responsible for these awful crimes. If you have information related to this case, please contact the Harney County Sheriff's Office at 541-573-6156. So, Chuck hails from Colorado. And did you know, Ryan, that Colorado plays prominently in the Great Tarantula Migration? Check out our website, 
ripleys.com. And you can read about how each year in the prairies of southeastern Colorado, thousands of tarantula begin a mass migration to find a mate. Believe it or not. The brown tarantulas take 10 years to reach sexual maturity before crossing miles of desert searching for love. Do they find it? Check out ripleys.com for this sexy tarantula tale. Although we've talked a lot about strange circumstances in this episode, we also learned a lot about animals. And one thing we learned in our research is that if predators or aliens or cults tried to attack a possum, they'd be very confused. Because contrary to popular belief, playing dead is no game for a possum. Instead, when they're threatened, they involuntarily enter a catatonic state. Normally, they'll run away, bare their teeth, uh, growl in dangerous situations. While their bravado is admirable, it's not very difficult for most predators to overpower them. When you see the marsupial playing possum, it's because it's been attacked or caught unaware. If it feels threatened by a dog, a fox, an owl, or another animal, it drops to the ground and either closes its eyes or stares off into space. Its body goes limp, its breathing appears to stop, it discharges its bowels, its tongue sticks out, and it drools. And if you poke it, the possum will not respond. By all indications, it appears to be dead. This defense mechanism is intended to confuse its attacker and allow the possum to escape. Many people believe it's a good act, but according to scientists, the possum is actually in tonic immobility or thanatosis, and its body enters a catatonic state in response to fear. Playing possum isn't an act at all. It's an involuntary reaction to a threat. So here at Ripley's, we're fascinated by animal stories. Sometimes they're mysterious. Other times they're amazing. Sometimes they're just downright weird. But however they're packaged, we'll continue to bring them to you, as we're always ready to appeal to your most animalistic nature. Believe us or not. Please Believe It or Not cast is produced by myself, Ryan Clark, and Sabrina Seek. Our executive producer is Amanda Joyner. I edit the show. The Notcast is recorded at the historic Herzog Studio, home of the nonprofit Cincinnati USA Music Heritage Foundation. The Notcast intro theme was put together by Colton Cruz, and our ending theme song is by the band Wussy. If you enjoyed this episode, please go tap that fifth star on Apple Podcasts. If you have comments, questions, or ideas, email us at notcast at ripleys.com or tweet at ripleys. And catch us next week as we investigate medical mysteries. We talked to a woman who once woke up to discover she can no longer speak. When she regained the ability to formulate words, she discovered her voice was not her own. Then on the other side of the world, a man gets the hiccups and can't get rid of them for three years. That's when he gets a life-threatening diagnosis. Strange medical cases next week on Ripley's Believe It or Not Cast. The bottom line is, is to think like an alien, you have to be an alien. There's aliens in our midst!